Have you heard about the new handicapping and betting app that is sweeping the nation? It's called First Bet, and it puts the power of AI-assisted handicapping, seamless wagering, and live HD video in the palm of your hand. Thousands of bettors have already made First Bet their way to handicap, bet, and watch more than 300 of the world's top tracks. Isn't it time for you to join them? And when you give First Bet a try today, you can cash in on a huge welcome bonus. Sign up with promo code Sport of Kings, all one word, and you will get $10 just for joining as well as a 10% rebate, up to $500 for your first 30 days. With that much free cash on the line, what do you have to lose? Get started at first.com slash bet. That's number one, st.com slash bet. And don't forget promo code Sport of Kings when you sign up. And if you already have an ExpressBet account, you're way ahead of the game. Simply log into FirstBet using your username and password, and you're off to the races. Up to 18 years or older and 21 years old in certain states to open an account with FirstBet and reside in the state where such activity is legal, void to prohibit National Gambling Support Line 800-522-4700. The biggest and best of the Northwest just got even better. Introducing the all-new Muckleshoot Rewards Program with three tiers and extraordinary benefits. Play with your Muckleshoot Rewards card to earn points for free play and qualify for dining discounts, gifts, and much more. The more you play, the more you earn. Enjoy more benefits than ever before with the new Muckleshoot Rewards Program. Muckleshoot Casino, the biggest and best in the Northwest. Zippin' Sevens has a lead. The lead's two lengths. Defending champion Princess of Cairo shifts to the outside second. Buybacks in third. Lady O'Prado's in fourth. Sixteenth to go. It's Zippin' Sevens has a lead by two over Princess of Cairo, who's running out of time in real estate. Zippin' Sevens, a 23-1 upset. Horse Racing Northwest from Emerald Downs. Just 29 days until opening day, Saturday, May 6th. Kentucky Derby Day, first race, 1 p.m. Yeah, we're opening for the 2023 season on Kentucky Derby Saturday, May 6th. So make plans to come on out. It'll be a, a really fine and fun day. As we just heard, Zippin' Sevens winning the Emerald Distaff last August for trainer Alan Bozell. And uh, if you catch our training day video on YouTube, she's part of this Thursday, April 6th, training day, Zippin' Sevens. As the boss had quite the season last year, Vince, with Zippin' Sevens. Pearl and River Delta. Pearl River Delta had the most earnings of any horse that had no stakes earnings last year. What a year she had. She's also on our training day for Thursday, May 6th, as well as the boss zipped around on her himself. Okay, well, it's, uh, again, 29 days till opening day. Big weekend for simulcasting. The Bluegrass, the Wood Memorial, the Santa Anita Derby this Saturday, April 8th. Of course, Emerald Downs open for all that action. And we'll get some close looks at the Wood Memorial from Anthony Stabile and the Santa Anita Derby from John White on Horse Racing Northwest today. 50 years ago, Secretariat swept the Triple Crown, the first Triple Crown winner since 1948 when Citation did it. So it was a big event, and it was even bigger and grander and greater and immense when he won the Belmont in June with one of the greatest athletic performances ever. So 50 years ago, Secretariat. And uh, 
we did a nice uh, video on Secretariat, um, a 30-year anniversary. So that thing's a few years behind us. Um, let's see, was that 30 years or 40 years? I think it was 40 years. Uh, Mike Gastineau hosted a uh, Secretariat Day at Emerald Downs 30 years ago. And then 10 years ago, we did a, a interviews on uh, our Christmas party night and got a lot of local people's takes on Secretariat. So you can catch that on YouTube as well. Type in Emerald Downs Secretariat for that. Hey, Dancing at the Downs this Saturday. And things get underway at 7 p.m. Uh, and Vince is going to be working the table again. Vince, uh, Aerosmith Tribute Band this weekend. Yeah, we all listened to Aerosmith back in the yeah. They had a couple of careers. Days. They did. They did the rock star thing where they were... They lived the life. I've read yeah. some things about them. <laughs> yeah, they had to slow down there in the 80s a little bit, and then they picked According it back up. According to Steven up. Tyler, they weren't going to live if they didn't slow down. <laughs> okay, Aerosmith Tribute Band, Dancing at the Downs. We'll have another one on May 20th. But uh, for now, this Saturday, April 8th, Dancing at the Downs, 7 p.m. You can get your tickets at emeralddowns.com or just 10 bucks at the door. Okay, and let's see other things happening. Uh, also, tickets for the meeting are on sale at emeralddowns.com. If you'd like to book a day in the suites, we have four suites up on the sixth floor. You can call our uh, group events department at 253-288-7700. 288-7700. We've got some good promotional pricing in those four suites. Uh, opening day is sold out, by the way, in the suites, but a uh, lot of opportunities for the rest of the meeting, including Mother's Day, which is just eight days after opening day. Mother's Day, May 14th. We're going to have our Mother's Day buffet back as well. And the Emerald Racing Club is gearing up. Uh, I, as far as I've heard, you guys don't have a horse yet, but uh, that We're always... We're trying. Yeah, yeah, that always happens. It'll happen, yeah. We've some leads on a few of them good. so yeah so it, it yeah i hope to have at least two by opening day very good and you can contact vince brune vince right here uh to join the emerald racing club uh just a great deal uh, i'll say this vince you know i worked with you a lot of years now and uh, you weren't one for early mornings too often you no. know for your first eight years or so here but once you've been involved with the club you're out here three mornings a week early i mean you know maybe 7 30 or even earlier yeah watch horses train yeah. or showing people around back there and uh yeah it's become a labor of love it's, yeah it's a lot of fun i can and, tell uh, you enjoy it yeah people have a good time and it's uh it's pretty in my opinion it's a pretty good bargain it for is your money yeah 500 bucks that's all you pay for the whole year and you always get some money back that includes your licensing uh it includes admission to the track and there's always tours and, and uh, there's yep. a dinner earlier or a, a luncheon earlier in the season. There's May 21st this year, yeah. Farm trips and you, you, you organize, you know, morning training sessions. Yeah, and last year was our first year with Jeff Metz, who yep. we had on after Sharon Ross uh, retired. Still see Sharon out here occasionally. She's got some groups of owners and uh, still a bit involved, but yeah, so... Plenty of room. Uh, call me 253-288-7723 or send me an email, Vince B at emeralddowns.com. I'll okay. be happy to contact you. That's 288-7723. If you'd like to join the Emerald Racing Club and uh, become a horse owner, we've had a lot of people get started in their horse ownership right. careers. You know, Joe, I think one of our guests later on today might be dabbling in horse ownership. Oh, okay. 
You're talking about the big A, Anthony Stabile. Yeah. yeah. He's, get, he's getting him. Well, he's really excited, too. I could tell. I talked to him uh, earlier this week. Um, and other things, let's see. Uh, we'll recap some of the top Washington breads going a little bit later in the show as well. And we are going to run on Memorial Day weekend this year, or Monday of Memorial Day weekend. So keep that in mind. We haven't run on Memorial Day Monday in several years, but we'll have the great outdoor giveaway that day. And on opening day, May 6th, we're going to have our Truly Fabulous Hat Contest, but we're also going to uh, give prizes away for best dressed, both men and women, in different categories. We're going to have scouts around and... Uh, we'll announce the winners right after the Kentucky Derby, which goes about mid-card for us on our opening day. I think the Derby's around 345, somewhere right That's right, because we, as you mentioned, we start early that day at yeah. 1 o'clock. So, yeah. Yeah, so uh, uh, we'll have a lot of uh, people uh, getting ready for the Derby with uh, their favorite Derby-type attire. And uh, some of them will be winning some prizes in various categories. And... Uh, Training going on at Emerald Downs. We're getting ready. The track is open for training seven days a week. And then once the meeting starts, we'll go to six days a week. Uh, Tuesday will be dark for the track itself. The Quarter Shoot Cafe is open um, Wednesday through Sunday. Closes at 2 p.m. this time of year. But uh, just a great menu there. Sally and Joe Steiner, so great to have them with us always. They run it, and uh, it's a kind of a family affair, too. Kelly and Carrie are there, and Sheila Steiner, and uh, all working along with Sally and Joe at the Quarter Shoot Cafe. Always fun to go in there. Uh, let's see, any other observations from yourself? No, um, just the, you know, the May 6th opening is going to yeah. be festive. I don't know if we've ever opened on Kentucky Derby no. Day before, so that'll be interesting. I hope for the... A little too early to start looking for weather forecasts and all yeah. that, you know. But uh, Hope yeah, it's best. not it's not unheard of to get some nice weather on May sixth. So we got a shot. Yeah, and we've got you know tons of indoor areas as well. So uh, join and watch the Kentucky Derby in the big screen and uh, Emerald Downs opening day. Um, and we're we're online to get a bunch of new barns in this year, meaning new trainers bringing their horses for the first time to Emerald Downs and. We'll have more on that. I was talking with Stable Superintendent Vern Bays last week, and and he's he's uh, expecting. Oh yeah, he's making room for a bunch of new guys, and and he is uh, he's been around the block a little bit. He knows people that talk about coming and those that plan on coming, and so that's a good thing that'll help our field size. And and speaking of our training day report, our training day video on YouTube, uh, we just have. A whole bunch of two-year-olds on it today as well, which is a good sign also for oh, this yeah. year and the future. Okay, well, uh, once again, our guests are John White and the Big A, Anthony Stabile. So uh, we'll take a short break and come back with more on Horse Racing Northwest. 
Have you heard about the new handicapping and betting app that is sweeping the nation? It's called First Bet, and it puts the power of AI-assisted handicapping, seamless wagering, and live HD video in the palm of your hand. Thousands of bettors have already made First Bet their way to handicap, bet, and watch more than 300 of the world's top tracks. Isn't it time for you to join them? And when you give First Bet a try today, you can cash in on a huge welcome bonus. Sign up with promo code Sport of Kings, all one word, and you will get $10 just for joining, as well as a 10% rebate, up to $500 for your first 30 days. With that much free cash on the line, what do you have to lose? Get started at first.com slash bet. That's number one, st.com slash bet. And don't forget promo code Sport of Kings when you sign up. And if you already have an ExpressBet account, you're way ahead of the game. Simply log into FirstBet using your username and password, and you're off to the races. A few 18 years or older and 21 years old in certain states to open an account with FirstBet and reside in the state where such activity is legal, would be prohibited. National Gambling Support Line 800-522-4700. They're at the top of the stretch. Hijazi, practical move, cuts the corner now to challenge him in second. Three back to Fort Bragg and Skinner. Down at the rail, go Rocket Ride is running on valiantly, but it's practical move coming past the 16th pole in command. And practical move, another big effort from him under Ramon Vasquez wins the San Felipe. Practical move with a tremendous victory in the San Felipe. And our guest here on Horse Racing Northwest wasn't really too unhappy about that at all. And uh, our guest, Vince, is none other than favorite son in Washington State, John White. Yeah, I'm in esteemed company here with the two JWs from Washington, John White and Joe Withy. About as good as it gets to talk racing in, in the Northwest. Well, thanks, Vince. And John, welcome to Horse Racing Northwest once again. Well, well, uh, good to be with you, my fellow JW, and also with BB, Vince yeah. Brun. Uh, and uh, yes, I was very pleased at what happened in that uh, San Felipe because back on February 12th, uh, when I saw that practical move was over 80 to one in the Kentucky Derby future wager, I said, you know what? I'm going to put a hundred dollars on him. But then I thought, you know what? If you're going to go ahead and put a hundred dollars on him at that price, maybe you should make a 200 because that's the type of thing you really want to try to do in these future wagers. You don't want to just hit a home run. That's fine. But you really want to try to hit a grand slam. So I thought, you know, I'm going to go ahead and do it. And he closed at 83 to 1. So if he wins the Kentucky Derby, if Practical Mook gets the roses, I'll make almost $17,000. And I'll actually wow. be over 17000 because he was not in, in one of the first two all others. And I hammered the all others back in November. Oh, okay. Uh, with the Kentucky Derby Future Wager, so I'd actually uh, I'd have put him well over seventeen thousand if he wins, and that seventeen thousand dollars kind of rings a bell because I always think back to Seattle Slough being purchased as a yearling by uh, the Taylors, and uh, for seventeen thousand five hundred dollars, Karen and Mickey Taylor. So that's a number that's resonated with me for my whole life, $17,500 for a horse that would go on and triple crown and have such a great career and then become such a great stud as well, Seattle flu. So uh, practical move, uh, you know, is now considered one of the favorites for the Kentucky Derby. It's not very often you can get a horse at 83 to one that is considered one of the favorites, but the pressure is on because he's going to have to go out there and, 
and perform well in the Santa Anita Derby. At least he's not needing points to get into the Kentucky Derby. You know, back when I played, I'll have another in the future book on March 1st uh, of his three-year-old year. He needed to run first or second in the Santa Anita Derby just to get into the Kentucky Derby. Mm. People don't remember that because he not only won the Kentucky Derby from post-19, the only horse to ever win the Kentucky Derby from post-19, but he won the Preakness, of course, and then his career ended uh, before he could try for the Triple Crown and the Belmont Stakes. But, you know, back then uh, I played I'll Have Another, and um, so the pressure was on Mario Gutierrez uh, as the rider and trainer Doug O'Neill and owner Paul and Zilla Redham to, to finish first or second in the Santa Anita Derby. If he doesn't, he's not in the Kentucky Derby, and that would have been fine with Bodemeister because then Bodemeister would have won the Kentucky Derby in Preakness. But uh, at least in the case of Practical Move, I don't have to sweat out the, the situation of him needing points to get into the Kentucky Derby, thank goodness. Yeah. Uh, hey, uh, do you do the morning line for Low Sal in the fall there? No. Okay. Uh, that is Ed Burkhart, the okay. longtime track announcer. Uh, and uh, forever for the quarter horses there, morning line maker, and a very good morning line maker, I might add. Yeah, so and, I, uh, I bring that up because... Really, uh, I really regard it as maybe the greatest uh, quarter horse announcer in history. Yeah. If he's not, he's right up there. But, uh, but a, yeah, that was a practical move uh, when he won the Los Alamitos. Right. That was Ed Burgart's work on the morning line. Okay, and yeah, because he entered that race... Uh, really a non-winner. He won a maiden race on a DQ, um, but he went into the Los Al Futurity and won that, and you watch all those races in Southern Cal. So, uh, yeah, he had that race. His final start at age two didn't run for uh, close to, well, two and a half months, and you got 83-1 to one on him before he was that outstanding winner of the San Felipe. That That is some great stuff right there. You're sitting on a really nice future wager, and... John White, of course, joining us, and John going over a couple of his other Kentucky Derby successes. He's had a few on those future wagers. So practical move, uh, heavy favorite on Saturday, John. Yes, I made him the 8-5 to five favorite on the morning line, and by the way, my all-time success for the Kentucky Derby future wager was betting $100 in Las Vegas where I had a friend to, that was able to make the bet at the win uh, race book. And uh, that was on Justify before he ran his first race. Yeah. I put $100 on Justify at odds of 100 to 1. Yeah. That so was... uh, that uh, turned out to be a nice $10,000 score. You bet. Uh, not quite as good as Nick Casado, though, who longtime jockey agent here in Southern California. And uh, I found out later that he was the guy that uh, actually – was able to get a bet down on Justified before I got him at 100 to 1 with $100. Nick Asato bet $500 on Justified before his first race to win the Kentucky Derby at 300 to 1. Nick Asato won $150,000 on Justified. Nick Casado, who manages Slam Dunk Racing. uh, That is correct. Yeah, John, looking at the Derby, one of the mystery horses people are going to be looking at, especially with all the recent success of the Japanese runners uh, around the world, there's a horse called Mandarin Hero. You made 8 to 1, but I understand the horse 
is kind of been running on the B circuit uh, over in Japan. What do you make of uh, Mandarin Hero, a son of Shanghai Bobby, coming into the Derby? Well, I make of him as being a wild card, and he's he's a different, very difficult horse to try to put a morning line price on because, I you know, the way the Japanese have been doing so extremely well on the national stage and just recently ran one, two, three, four in the UAE Derby over in Dubai, I mean, they, they slept the superfecta. And Durmo Sotogaki is considered to be really a horse that could possibly win the Kentucky Derby. The, the UAE Derby winner, Randy Moss, has said, and of course Randy Moss involved in the making of buyer speed figures, there are no official buyer speed figures for the UAE Derby, but Randy Moss said that really the estimation by the buyer people is the fact that they would give Dermal Sotogaki a higher buyer number than the winner of the uh, Dubai World Cup. The race for older horses. So uh, that shows you how impressive his race was over there. On the other hand, horses coming to the Kentucky Derby that ran in the UAE Derby are 0 for 18 in the Kentucky Derby. Not only that, none of them has finished better than fifth. So they've got quite a bit of history going against them. But again, because Japan has been doing so extremely well uh, in recent years, uh, you, you really have to give them some respect. And even a horse that has not been running at the quote-unquote on the A circuit in Japan, he's been running on the B circuit, but even a horse like that, considering he's only lost once and in his one defeat he lost by a neck, uh, and the fact that they have pointed him for this race, uh, you can't take him too lightly. How much he's going to get bet, and of course that's the what you're trying to uh, forecast as a morning line maker as much as you can is how the horse will be bet, not how he's going to run, but how he's going to be bet. And I was going anywhere from six to one to eight to one to 10 to one to 12 to one. I mean, in that range. And I decided I better keep him in single digits just in case he happens to get a fair amount of play because again, of the success of Japan. Uh, listen, uh, the thing about this Japan situation really goes hand-in-hand hand, uh, to me with my two visits to the Japan uh, Japan Cup over at Tokyo Racecourse. My first visit to that was in 1991. And Gary Stevens, yes, Long Acres riding champion Gary Stevens, was aboard Golden Pheasant for Hall of Fame trainer Charlie Whittingham to win that Japan Cup. And to show you how Japan's horses were not that big of a deal at that time, they weren't as nearly as good as they are today. Uh, while I was there for the couple of days, our guide kept asking me for tips, <laughs> and she would hand me her program. And I would, most of the time, I didn't really, because you don't have a racing form, you don't have past performances to go by. So on one race, I finally gave her a horse to bet. And it was a first-time starter. And the horse uh, was an American-bred horse. And that's one of the reasons I liked him. And he was by Papiano. And uh, the horse won by about 15 lengths. Hmm. And his name was A.P. Jet. Okay. And Tracy, my wife, 
who was there was shaking her head saying, how can you tell this person and tout this person on this horse that's never even raced? And we're in Japan. You don't even have a racing form. And the horse wins by 15 lengths. And I said, look at the sires of everybody in this race. And at that time, if you were by a Japanese sire, you weren't going to be at the same level as a horse by a Papiano. Okay. Well, I later learned that the person who raced AP Indy had bought both AP Jet and AP Indy at the same sale at Keeneland. And this guy spent a lot of money for both horses. Uh, he, he bought AP Indy for $2.9 million, uh, and AP Jet sold for a lot of money, too. This guy was not shy at spending a lot Tur- of money. Turo Tosoramaki was his name. That's right. Exactly. And uh, so he sent both horses to Neil Drysdale when they were yearlings. And Drysdale was told, I want one of these horses to go to Japan and you get the other one. And Drysdale kept AP Indy and sent it. So they sent AP Jet to Japan and I was there for his first race. Now, the reason I'm saying that is, the next time I went to Japan was 2012 for the Japan Cup. The difference in the quality of the Japanese horses from 1991 to 2012 was exponentially improved, way different. And the major reason for that was a horse that had raced in the United States, that the United States and probably the biggest breeding blunder in American racing history let escape the United States and go to Japan, Sunday and his Sunday. name is Sunday Silence. Yeah. Sunday Silence, who could have been a Triple Crown winner, if not for Easy Goer, he would have been a Triple Crown winner. But uh, he ended up going to Japan and became an absolute phenomenal sire. And in fact, at the Japan Cup I was at in 2012, a horse by the name of Orfarg was the, the big favorite. And he lost by a nose. But Orfarg was a really, really top horse. He ran second in the arc in France twice. He earned $19 billion, Orfarg. Hmm. And he wasn't a son of Sunday Silence. He was a grandson of Sunday Silence. But in most of those top horses in Japan, you will find Sunday Silence in that pedigree. And Sunday Silence changed that whole breeding and racing quality in Japan. And the other thing about this, guys, is the fact that the Japanese so often would come to the United States, particularly at that November sale of broodmares in Kentucky, and buy many of our top race mares and okay. future broodmares. And okay. so the, the, the Japanese really did a tremendous job at increasing the quality of their breeding operations, which in turn led to the increase in the quality of their racing operations. In fact, in, I just mentioned the Dubai World Cup. The horse that won the uh, Dubai World Cup, uh, you know, one of the ri- richest races on the planet, is the son of Orfar. That horse that I saw get beat a nose in the Japan Cup. So, you know, the thing is, again, I would get, I'd be more respectful, morning line wise, and just generally of the horse in the Santa Anita Derby if he'd been running at the A-Tracks, Mandarin Hero. And here again, we've got a United States influencer. He is by Shanghai Bobby, 
you know, who was a top horse here in the United States. So he's just a real question mark. It's going to be very interesting to see how Mandarin Hero does. And uh, if he does well, I certainly won't be surprised if we see horses from Japan in the future show up for a race like the Santa Anita Derby. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I'm thinking just the last couple years, especially on these Japanese horses, that 2021 Breeders' Cup was a, a real eye-opener. But you just laid the groundwork there. When you, when you start buying uh, top mares and breeding them, there's a little bit of a, a lag there in years. So it's really coming to fruition. Then with their success, I'm sure it, uh, it buoys more Japanese uh, connections to come over to the U.S. for these big races. Not only that, but again, when I was there that first time for the Japan Cup in 1991, at that time, there was very little dirt racing in Japan. Mm. And that's something else that they have worked on to improve. And so grass racing is still the main racing in Japan. But dirt racing, they even have a race, the Japan Cup dirt. And I mean, they've emphasized trying to get better with their dirt racing, and uh, also the training has improved in Japan. I think the quality of the trainers, if you go back before 1991, on the world stage, they were kind of out-trained, these guys. But they have worked very hard, and now we're seeing that these Japanese trainers really know what they're doing. By the way, I will quickly tell you a story I know you both will enjoy, and, and the listeners as well. When Golden Pheasant won that 1991 Japan Cup, my wife and I had dinner with Jerry Stevens and his wife at the time and a few others at the restaurant at the hotel. And at dinner, I asked Gary Stevens, after congratulating him on winning the Japan Cup, I said, I know that was a big thrill for you, but you had ridden earlier on the card. And I was just curious, Gary, what was it like, you know, riding in Japan for the first time when you came out to ride that first time? And the crowd was over like 100,000 people there that day. And Gary said, let me tell you, we came out for the post parade and they had the starting gate on the steeplechase course. And he thought, they put me on a <laughs> steeplechase horse and didn't even tell me. <laughs> He says, there must have been some mix-up or mistake. He says, I, I, how did this happen? And he says, we get closer and closer to post time, and the gate is still on that steeplechase course. And he and this is typical Gary Stevens, and this is one of the reasons he became one of the most successful jockeys in the history of American racing. With about three, four minutes to post, Gary thought to himself, all right, they didn't bother to tell me I'm riding a steeplechase horse, but I'm going to go out there and win the race. Yeah. I'll win it. Well, he says, then they moved the starting gate, and I was very relieved that I didn't <laughs> have to go out there and ride in a steeplechase race in Japan for my first uh, time riding there. Yeah, you're seven, 8,000 miles away. You're not exactly sure what the protocol is, so... Uh... Uh, that worked out okay for everybody concerned. John White's first trip to Japan. And Mandarin Hero is his name. He's number eight of nine in the Santa Anita Derby on Saturday. Race number six, by the way, 2.30 West Coast time. 
for this year's Santa Anita Derby. And uh, John, a little bit about your top 10 on the Derby Watch, which people can catch on his column, uh, John White's Express Bet column. Um, yeah, Mage gave Forte a heck of a battle last weekend in the Florida Derby. Um, Mage broke slowly, was behind, made a long, wide move, and the champ Forte got him in the end. Uh, tell us about your the top of your list. Well, I've got Patrick Lemieux at the top of my list. Uh, I admit I'm being a little biased there, but uh, not totally biased because he got a 100-buyer speed figure in the uh, San Felipe, and uh, yes, Forte also owns a 100 buyer, but that was in the Breeders' Cup, and actually, Forte's buyers have been going downwards since the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. He got a 98 in the Fountain of Youth, and then a 95 in the Florida Derby. So, uh, for me, I think that uh, I, I I can certainly see practical move. I, I feel I can put him at number one. I, I, I really feel he has at this point, but now, of course, his status at the top of my top ten hinges significantly on what he does Saturday in the Santa Anita Derby. I've got Forte second, and then third, I have Kings Barnes, who is undefeated and won the Louisiana Derby for Todd Fletcher. Fletcher also trains Forte, and I have uh, Angel of Empire ranked fourth and uh, Type of Trice ranked fifth. So okay. uh, Todd Fletcher has three of the top five because Pletcher also trains Tapatrice, who runs in the uh, Bluegrass Stakes this weekend right. at Keeneland. But uh, Kings Barnes, the same day that I put the $200 on Practical Move at 83 to 1, Kings Barnes was 35 to 1. And he won that day at Tampa Bay Downs, his second career start. And I was very impressed with what I saw. So I put a couple of hundred on him as well. And so that's $7,000 if Kings Barnes happens to win the Kentucky Derby. So that's another good live one that I have. Very much so. And then the sixth and seventh, I have Go Rocket Ride sixth and Skinner seventh. And they're two contenders in the Santa Anita Derby. You know, Skinner is a horse that I've also got a, a future wager on at a nice price. And in fact, I put another $20 on him this past weekend when he was like uh, 49 to 1. But uh, Skinner's trained by John Sheriffs, of course, of the Zenyatta thing. And Skin they've been very high on Skinner all along. And that's evidenced by the fact that they, as a maiden, they ran him in two grade one races as a two-year-old. And in one of them, he finished third, the Delmar Paturity. But he's uh, improved dramatically since his two-year-old form. He won his first race this year with authority by... Uh, three-plus lengths and got a 95 buyer. And then in the San Felipe, he made a good move to the top of the lane and then kind of ran evenly through the stretch. But he, he finished well enough to, to, to get third. But he was coming back in three weeks. And uh, so that was, I think, a reason that he might not have had more of a, a kick at the end of the San Felipe. Now he's had five weeks since the San Felipe and in the hands of John Sheriffs, who won the 2005 Kentucky Derby with Giacomo. Giacomo's not one of my all-time favorites. We talk about future books. I had a future book bet on closing argument. Oh, boy. Who went off at 71-1, to and he was my top pick in the Kentucky Derby and finished second a half a length behind Giacomo that day. So 
if not for Giacomo, I would have had a 71-to-1 winner of the Kentucky Derby. And uh, But John Sheriff certainly, to me, is a trainer uh, that I have tremendous respect for. Uh, he's kind of a char- modern-day Charlie Whittingham, who I think was the greatest trainer of all time. And Skinner's a Curlin. The Curlins often get better as they get older and go farther. So at a mile and eighth in the Santa Anita Derby with five weeks now between races, Victor Espinosa riding, I think Skinner certainly merits a lot of respect. And then go rocket ride, you, you have to give him respect too. He's trained by Richard Mandela, who was a Long Acres Mile winning trainer and a member of the Hall of Fame. You get Bobby and Pratt, who's been winning a lot of these recent uh, Kentucky Derby preps. And go rocket ride finished a very respectable second as the 5-2 to two favorite to practical move in the San Felipe, and it was only his second career start and his first race around two turns. And he's by Candy Ride out of uh, Uncle Mo Mare, so a beautiful pedigree there. So go Rocket Ride it seems to have tremendous upside and merits a lot of respect in the Santa Anita Derby as well. John, I, I had one question on a, on a little local uh flavor in one of the races down there the echo eddy we've got uh blaine wright and kevin radke trainer jock teaming up with the philly name excuse me with the colt name uh, clovis connection in the echo eddy stakes i noticed you made him six to one on the line i mentioned to you that uh blaine wright has a history in that race winning with alert bay in uh, 2014 who ended up being a millionaire hit the board in the long acres mile and uh Blaine also won a Calbred Stakes last year at Santa Anita at 71 to 1 with a horse called Power Surge. So, uh, what do you see in Clovis' connection? Well, I see a very nice son of Vronsky. You know, Vronsky is a very good sire. He's a son of Danzig, one of the all time top sires. Vronsky's a sire of a real local star called the Chosen Braun. And uh, Clovis' connection uh, with three wins out of four career starts, and he's undefeated sprinting. Now, this will be his first race on dirt, so that's a question mark for him. Plus, you know, he is going to be facing tougher competition here in Kangaroo Court and Buzz Buzz. They're both highly regarded Calbreds. Kangaroo Court uh, finished second in his career debut last summer at Del Mar, and then in his second start, ran off the TV screen, as they say, he won by over 14 lengths, then went on the shelf, but he returned in really in excellent fashion, winning a race at Santa Anita in 108 and change, defeating Buzz Buzz on that occasion. Buzz Buzz was coming off an impressive debut win in which he'd won in 109 and change. So those are two very salty Calbreds, Kangaroo Court and Buzz Buzz. But look, Clovis Connection, uh, with that kind of record, and, you know, to me... Blaine Wright, his father, one of my all-time favorites uh, as a jockey and then as a trainer, but just as a person. I mean, I talked to him a lot on the phone. I'll never forget when I asked Blaine Wright. I said, uh, Richard Wright, Blaine's father, I I remember asking him just many years after Turbulator was running because Richard Wright had ridden Kid Cabin when he finished second to Turbolator the day he broke the world record at Long Acres. And Kid Cabin had taken the lead in deep stretch away from Fleet there, the big favorite who was on a six-race winning streak. And I said, what do you remember about that race, Dick? And he said, he just shook his head, and he said, I thought I had that race won for sure. He said, 
pit cabin had surged to the front and was running strong. And then he says, I heard Chick O'Neill, who was the track announcer at the time, he says, I heard him say, and here comes Turbulator. And I thought, oh, no. And he says, he nailed me right at the finish. And he said, it took a world record to beat me that day. <laughs> yeah. So his his mount ran well. Kid Cabin, yeah, one of the top sprinters of the 60s there. Uh, but not as good as Turbulator. John, hey, thank you so much. Uh, you've got some great opportunities in the upcoming Kentucky Derby. No kidding. Wow. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's kind of all over it. So uh, best of luck there and practical move. Looking to move forward once again in the Santa Anita Derby this Saturday. Uh, 2.30 is Derby time. Um, first race is, uh, is it at noon? I think it's at noon on Saturday at Santa Anita. And you can catch uh, John uh, his column. John, tell us once again where to find your column. Well, probably the best way would be to like to Google it, but I yeah. also tweet it. and uh, But it's uh, basically at expressbet.com. So, uh, and the thing about having these opportunities for the Kentucky Derby in the future book, you know, you can have 83 to 1 on on practical move, 35 to 1 on uh, Kings Barnes and whatever. Oftentimes that just puts the favorite Forte right into the winner's circle. <laughs> you know, and Forte, you have to respect him tremendously. I mean, he's only got one defeat. He won the Florida Derby from the 11 post. Uh, you know, he is a formidable horse. He's sure. a deserving favorite at this point of the Kentucky Derby. And, uh, all you can do is try to put yourself in a position for a nice score. That's what I did with Justify. That's what I've done with Practical Move and Kings Barnes. And uh, yeah, you and can you hedge. Just cross you... your fingers and hope that you have some racing luck. That's one thing about the Kentucky Derby too. A lot of times you can have the best horse in the race, and racing luck will get you beat. You look at looking at Lucky, who broke from that inside post position. Sure. And uh, my dad says if I was Baffert, I'd scratch him from the one hole. <laughs> I said, well, Bob Baffert's not scratching the Kentucky Derby <laughs> favorite just because he drew the one hole. Yeah. But when you saw how looking at Lucky got annihilated that day from the one hole, he's lucky he came out of it unscathed and he did go on to win the Preakness and ended up being the three-year-old male champion. You know, looking at Lucky was the first horse to be the two-year-old champion and three-year-old champion since Spectacular Bid. That's wow. how good looking at Lucky was. And yet he couldn't win the Kentucky Derby. And how about a horse like uh, Little Current in 1974? He got just so annihilated that entire race and then won the Preakness by seven lengths and the Belmont by seven lengths. If he, has, he was in the record 23-horse field in that 100th Kentucky Derby in 1974, and that was such a rough race. That's why they decided after that to cap field at 20. Mm -hmm. That's how rough that 1974 Kentucky Derby was. And poor little current, if he's, you know, not in a rodeo like that, he quite likely would have been a triple crown winner. So the Derby's a very tough race to win, but uh, at least I've got a couple of real live ones at good prices. Yeah, you sure do. And you can, you know, hedge a little bit with other win bets and exactas with your horses because you you're only going to score if they win, but you, you're well set up. John, thanks so much for joining us on Horse Racing Northwest. As always, we'll catch up with you soon. 
Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. John White, always a lot of great information and uh, often ties it. And his column, by the way, Vince, is really interesting. Uh, you know, one out of three or four has some Northwest tie or older story. I mean, he still pays really close attention to what's going on up here. But, of course, he is all over the road to the Kentucky Derby. I mean, he's one of the most important guys the last 20 years with his derby strikes and his handicapping and his historical uh, takes and uh, relations to the derby. Oh, so. yeah. Very thorough always. Yeah. So you have a little something here, some data? Yeah, well, uh, some Washington Bread's okay. making a little bit of noise. We had at uh, Oaklawn, uh, well, March a couple weeks ago now, a uh, uh, four-year-old filly by Coast Guard named Asina mm-hmm. with Tyler Bays up, won $104,000 allowance race by Coast Guard out of Market Formula. Uh, trained by Valerie Lund, Tyler Bays up, paid $35,000, yeah. got an 87 buyer. And I uh, looked up that damn Market Formula who was owned by Gene Welch. Mm-hmm. That horse, you know, produced a stakes winner in uh, Hong Kong. Uh, a horse wow. called Marcula by Coast Guard out of Market Marcula, Formula. Yeah. A full brother. Uh, won the $176,600 University Hall Handicap at Shaw 10 Racecourse at 62 to 1 back in... Uh, June of 2019. So uh, Market Formula has proven to be a pretty good broodmare. And then last... And by the way, Asina is the number one Washington bred earner because of that big win at Oklahoma yes, at 63000 Right. Yeah, that was a big uh, $104,000 race. Then last Friday, the uh, late double at Golden Gate Field, some interest there. We mentioned Blaine Wright and Kevin Radke. Well, Blaine's got a $8,000 Palace Malice gilding that is now three for three mm. lifetime. Uh, won a really tough uh, allowance race, finishing uh, uh, finishing the favorite called Mother's Prayer for a nose win. Uh, owned uh, by Steve and Lance Kinross, uh, Kentucky bred, only cost $8,000, now three for three for $55,200. So, and then the race after that, a horse we're familiar with here at Emerald Downs called Zazen. Yeah. Again, Kevin Radke riding. This one earned a career-high 81 buyer with a three-quarter length victory and a $35,000 allowance race. Zaza and Akabao, a two-time winner here at the meet last year, now five for seventeen, eighty-one thousand dollars. Uh, now owned by Sue and Tim Spooner, trained by Dan Markle. Yeah, they claimed her last year, and uh, as you mentioned, she was a very decent three-year-old filly and two straight now down at Golden Gate for the Spooners. Zazen, um, Zabra Kadabra. By the way, he's a six-year-old gelding by Harbor the Gold. And he was number four in Washington bred earnings last year, running right. on the East Coast behind, you know, Slew's Tiz Wiz, Papa's Golden Boy, the Big Wham. Um, he had nearly a hundred grand last year. He started his career at Emerald Downs and he ran three times here as a juvenile. Didn't really do all that much, but boy, he's had a really fine career. As I said, 98 grand last year, a good year as a four-year-old and he has two starts a win and a second this year for fifty-six thousand at laurel so he's number two on the washington list again this year and, and by the way he's in this saturday at laurel and you know speaking of harbor the goal we'd be remiss if we didn't mention top harbor winning again last Very saturday at golden gate fields five-year-old owned by uh, gordy jarnig uh, eric schweiger trained by tim mckenna is now what six for 15 lifetime two hundred and eighty-two thousand dollars in earnings 
and hearing some talk we could see that horse come long acres mile time this year That'd top be. harbor and uh you know that's the gift that keeps on giving that reba is tops both as a racehorse and a broodmare just a remarkable run yeah top harbor they're looking at the lost in the fog at the end of this yeah. month down there at golden gate but uh he's run well on dirt also yeah top harbor okay that's great stuff uh and uh, just uh, one sad note to report earlier this week, Wes Hodge passed away at the age of 91. Uh, so many of you knew Wes. I think uh, he owned his first horse right around 1970 and was a real familiar face at Long Acres, the off track and Emerald Downs for our first many years. I was thinking about Wes, I think last year I hadn't seen him. He's just always a good guy to run into always a happy guy to be at the races to be watching and wagering and uh, the father of al hodge who's still a prominent owner for trainer tim mccanna al uh, has won a lot of nice races here at emerald downs and of course in california too but uh, wes good long life passed away at the age of 91. Uh, and uh, just uh, one more reminder, Dancing at the Downs on Saturday, this coming Saturday. It's an Aerosmith tribute band. Uh, gates open at 7 a.m. The music starts shortly after that. Ten bucks at the door. If you uh, buy your tickets online at emeralddowns.com, you save a little bit there. But uh, just ten bucks at the door. Pretty good atmosphere on those uh, Saturday night concerts so far, Vince. Really great. Yeah, looking forward to that. And then uh, I, one other thing, you know, the work tab, if you go to Equibase or wherever you get your workouts, really busy yesterday here at Emerald Downs on April 5th. And uh, start good good idea to, if you're handicapped, and start looking at those work tabs because horses are starting to get serious here as we exactly a month away from opening day. Joe, one that's caught my eye is an unstarted four-year-old filly by Will Take Charge out of Rache Lee. Now, Rache Lee was a good racehorse, and she's a sister to Striking Scholar. Mm -hmm. Or who to, was, who to was, strike her PhD. Yes, and uh, Unbridled Scholar, three straight bullet works here. An unraced daughter, Will Take Charge, three furlongs and 35 and one, three furlongs and 34 and three. And yesterday, in company, a bullet half mile and 47 and three. Now, I'm not a big time guy, but when it's an unraced horse and they post three straight bullets to start their yeah. career, I'm taking note. And what barn is that? I believe it would be Shelly Crow, okay. I want to say. Yeah, or, not positive on that, but I think so. And of course, the uh, Larry and Sharon Ross trained Rache Lee when she was here at Emerald Downs. Yeah, and this horse might still be owned by Mona Hour. I got to do okay. a little more detective work on this one, but but definitely some some uh, potential there. And, and those work tabs are starting to pick up. You bet. Lots of workers on Wednesday. Uh, I think you said 80 or so. Right around there yesterday, Jody Parmenter, our head clocker with the retirement of Joan Hutcherson. I know she was uh, a busy gal up there yesterday. Okay, we'll take a short break and we'll be come back with uh, coming back for our last segment here on Horse Racing Northwest. The biggest and best of the Northwest just got even better. Introducing the all-new Mucklesuit Rewards Program with three tiers and extraordinary benefits. Play with your Mucklesuit Rewards card to earn points for free play and qualify for dining discounts, gifts, and much more. The more you play, the more you earn. Enjoy more benefits than ever before with the new Mucklesuit Rewards Program. Mucklesuit Casino, the biggest and best in the Northwest. 
they reach the top of the stretch, and now Hit Show is out in the clear. It's Arctic Arrogance who's got the lead, but Hit Show is ready to pounce on the outside as they approach a final furlong. They are five clear here from General Banker, and Hit Show has taken the lead. It's Hit Show who's now striding away. Arctic Arrogance is a game second. Hit Show drops over to the rail, has less than a 16th to go. It's Brad Cox, Manny Franco, Hit Show in the withers. That was Hit Show winning the Withers at the Big A back on February 11th, his second consecutive wide-open victory as the favorite. The Son of Candy Ride goes into the Wood Memorial as a uh, definite favorite this Saturday at Aqueduct. It's race number 11. It'll be 3.15 Pacific time, and it'll be at the Big A. And speaking of the Big A, Anthony Stabile another very prominent New York Big A, joins us on Horse Racing Northwest. Big A, great to have you on for the first time this year, and always good to hear your voice. Hopefully the first of many, guys. Joe, how are you? Good, good. Uh, Staying healthy, that's the main thing, of course, uh, these days, and we're getting close. In fact, uh, it's April 6th right now, and our opening day is May 6th, Kentucky Derby Day, as many of our local fans are aware of. So, we're looking forward to that, and you're looking forward to the Derby. Uh, Joe Withy here and Vince Brune, of course, hosting, and the Big A joining us. And Vince just uh, said off mic, I bet you Anthony's not going to pick Hit Show to win the Wood. You know, Anthony is a heck of a price mover, but every once in a while he'll 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 go with the, the best horse because he's seen him run live a few times. Hit Show is a legit favorite, huh, Anthony? He is. You know, guys, I'll tell you what. The one thing that's going to stop me from picking him on top on Saturday, and you're right, Joe, you said it off off air, I'm not picking him on Saturday, um, is the draw. Okay. The run to the first turn is not a long one, and he is going to get cut wide. Now, uh, the number six clear the air, going to stay in Kentucky. He's drawn post two in the bluegrass. He's not going to come up, ship up. Uh, so everybody's going to move in one spot. So, yes, it, it show goes from post-13 to post-12. Um, spit in the ocean, really. Um, Manny Franco is one of the leading riders here on the circuit. He's one of my favorite riders. He's one of the best riders in the country. Will he negate post-12? No. Will he do his best to try to uh, lessen the sting a little bit? Yes. But it's still post-12, and he is going to lose some ground unless he wants to lose valuable position in the race. Now, this horse is going to be coming from off the pace hit show, but how far off the pace, how much how much position do you, are you willing to concede if you're Manny Franco? Um, this is a race that it's a full field of 12, but there are a lot of horses in here that feel like they don't have a lot of positional speed. So you're, you know, you, you, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. If you try to leave for a little position, you got to get around some of that filler. If you try to drop back and save some ground, you got to get behind some of that filler. So to be curious to see, I, I don't doubt he's the best horse in the race. I just I just wonder what kind of trip he's going to pull. And I think it's, for the lack of a term, irresponsible take him as a short price on top. I'll use him in the pick four and the pick five and the cross-country pick five with some stakes at Keeneland that we have over at Iro Betts. But 
I'll um, I'm not going to pick them on top. Yeah, very good. And for those of you listening, and you are listening because we're talking to you right now, uh, Aqueduct is a mile and an eighth track. So as Anthony mentioned, it's a short run to the first turn in a one-mile track. You've got all the room in the world at a mile and an eighth to get a little room going into that first turn on a one-mile oval, but Aqueduct is a mile and an eighth. So thus the uh, analysis from the Big A on that end. Um, so, uh, you know, there's some horses up and coming, a couple of lightly raced runners in here. Uh, what are you seeing as a horse that might move forward on Saturday? I got to tell you, Joe, for the first time, I think in the history of my <laughs> appearances in the Pacific Northwest between the Play Show and the podcast, I don't know if I have finalized my top pick coming on. So, you know what? I think it's maybe appropriate that we do it while I'm on the air with you guys. Very good. Um, there are a few horses I don't like. Um, I am not a fan of Arctic Arrogance. who's going to take some money. I, you know, I think this is Linda Rice, who's one of our top trainers, grasping his straws a little bit. I don't think this horse wants any part of nine furlongs. I'm not going to take him on top. Um, there are some other horses in here that are going to take some money. I think, you know, he's one of them. Croopy's going to take one of them. Uh, I don't think Croopy's, I, I don't like Croopy. Todd Fletcher has a couple of maidens in here. I think Dream Lake has a real live chance. Blinker's on, he costs almost a million dollars, son of the white hot gun runner. He's drawn the inside under Jose Ortiz. I would imagine this horse is going to work out a very nice trip from the rail. Now he's been second in both of his maiden races. He's a maiden in a stakes race. I don't think that's that big of a deal. This is not the toughest little memorial. And with the favorite saddle all the way on the outside, I'm not that worried about it. But with that said, mm. I don't want to take him as the, I believe he's the second choice on the morning line at 7 or 2. I see that. Um, yeah. I'm not going to take him. So the horse I'm going to land on on top is Slip Mahoney, the number five, who looks like he was picking up the pieces as that pace fell apart in the Gotham last time out. I'm going to tell you what, I think he ran well despite, I don't think he loved that muddy track. Um, He's kind of, he ran well three starts back on a muddy track, on a muddy sealed track at the Big A. But I don't think he, he loved that track either. He was behind Tapa Trice that day. And Tapa Trice, I think, is a horse that's a real live derby contender. He came back to beat Poopy in a maiden race when he alternated on the lead. And then last time, he was last early. And he passed horses like he's been doing in his entire career. And that impressed me. I know the pace was absolutely collapsing. But he was running on late and passing horses. Now he's reunited with his regular rider, Dylan Davis. He'll break a lot better. He'll be more forward in the race. Like I said, that there's some speed and there's some filler. I just think Slip Mahoney makes some sense in a race where there's not a lot of sense to be made. He's got a bunch of races that act under his belt. I want to make Slip Mahoney the top pick. Uh, but that's the number five for Brad Cox and Dylan Davis. I think Greenlight, the number one, makes some sense. I don't think you can ever dismiss the number four general banker who's going to be a big price to get a piece of the pie. He always seems to come running for local trainer Jimmy Ferraro. New York Bred's lone win came in the restricted uh, New York Stallion Series race when he broke his maiden against uh, some stake sources. I'll use him. Um, classic catch. A recent allowance winner at Gulfstream going nine furlongs for Todd Fletcher. Trevor McCarthy is going to ride in. And you got to use Hit Show. 
But my top pick's going to be the number five, Slip Mahoney for Brad Cox and Dylan Davis. Hey, uh, Anthony, that's interesting. Are you surprised the horse that beat Slip Mahoney last time, Ray's Kane, has decided that they're going to the bluegrass? And what do you make of Ray's Kane in the bluegrass? You know, I'm a big Tapper Trice fan, Vince. Um, I'm not surprised because that race was so funky in the Gotham. How that 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 pace just collapsed, and Jose Lascano gave him a brilliant ride in the Gotham, where he just saved the ground, and then he tipped and, and made the run when uh, Iron Clover kind of came back to him, and the rest of that pace fell apart. His win at Keeneland in his Dayton race was eye-opening, and Ben Colbert's a local guy. I, I'm not surprised they're running him in Lexington. Um, I guess the surprising part of that would be that Tapa Trice is there and he has, you know, his, his two wins, one came at Akima and one came at Aqueduct. Um, you know, do you want to run against Tapa Trice? Do you want to run against Hit Show? Mm. Well, you know, you could have entered in both and, and, and taken a look at the draw. I mean, when Hit, draw, when, Hit show, when Hit Show draws that post, I think he's vulnerable, but the funny thing is then Tapa Trice comes back and draws the rail. At Keeneland. So it's like a horse that's had some issues breaking now draws the rail. A horse that's had very little issue. And I don't doubt that Hitchell is the best horse in the race in the Memorial, but he has to overcome that post. And maybe he's just that good. Maybe we're all making too big of a deal out of that post. And he's just, man, he's going to break. He's going to lose some position on the first turn, and it's not going to matter. That could very well happen here at Aqueduct on Saturday. By the way, you can catch the Wood Memorial uh, on Big Fox, on National Fox. Excellent. Not Fox Sports, but on the big network, Big Fox, from 6 to 6.30 Eastern, 3 to 3.30 Pacific. Um, Andy Sterling, Jonathan Kinchin, Maggie Wolfendale, Acacia Clement, Richard Migliori have all the coverage from 6 to 6.30 Eastern, 3 to 3.30 Pacific on Big Fox. Yeah, you Maybe guys. Maybe that's just what happens. Nope. But you know, I, I would have probably interviewed them both. Maybe maybe Ben just didn't want to take the fine for cross for cross entering. Uh-huh. I think the owners would have paid it. I don't know. That's what I would have done. <laughs> yeah, Ray's Kane is nine to two in there, coming off of the big win in the Gotham, which of course was after uh, the uh, Withers February Withers Gotham in March. So. Uh, hit show with Manny Franco, and I know, yeah, you've uh, you. Anthony gave us a great rundown, as you probably remember, a couple. I think it was in 2021 on the New York Jockeys, and he had a lot of good yeah. things to say on Manny Franco, and he might be, you know, if the other guys move around a little bit, Manny would be right there to be a legitimate uh, heir to the uh, the title on a couple of those New York meets. I think now that uh, Gulfstream's. Their A meet just ended. I think you'll probably start to see some of the guys heading back to New York. Anthony? Yeah. Jose's back. Jose Ortiz is back. Javier Castellano is back. Um, yeah, it's funny. You know, one of the other things I picked up this winter, I've been helping manage a stable for a good friend of mine, my friend Edgar Bea. He has horses down at Gulfstream. We have seven or eight horses up here with, uh, with Amir Shashakli as our trainer. I actually am dabbling in ownership now, too. That is we great. We have a two-year-old preservationist, Philly. Um, first one I ever owned. I'm really, really excited about it. Um, and we were going over some riders today, and we have a fantastic column here all year long. Sure. Um, and the, the winter, you know, you get to see some guys and some gals 
Um, won a couple of races here this winter with Eric Hansel and KB Davis. KB had a really good winter. Um, and now things open up a little bit. So, you know, it's different to go over the riding assignments and stuff, and the two names that came to the floor were Jose Ortiz and Javier Castellano. They're the first two that are kind of back on a regular basis. Red Ortiz, Junior, Luis Saez, Joel Rosario, John Velasquez, they're going to bounce back and forth between Kentucky and New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, the colony starts to expand, and it's it's exciting, you know, and, and they'll, they'll, they'll be here more and more as the summer progresses, and then, of course, for the uh, for the two weeks, for the two months rather, up at Saratoga, the countdown's under a hundred. Huh. Opening day at Saratoga, right. July thirteenth. Ridiculous to, to think that already. So wow, um, you got to be a yeah. hundred, a hundred. I never would have guessed that right now. But uh, okay, yeah. Hey, uh, what stable name are your horses going to be running under? Say that one more time, Joe. Uh, your horses that you're going to be part owner of. What's what's the stable name? Or, uh... no, 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 so 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 I'm I'm helping manage the stable for Edgar Bea. He's the owner. Amira Shashakli is the trainer. Okay. She's the best kept secret. About, she's the best kept secret on the circuit. All right. So at least she at least she will be until uh, until Saratoga's over. We win a bunch of races. Um, and then my filly, her name's Amirati. Named her after Amira. So Amira and I own uh, own half of her, and then we have some partners. My man Louis Lazanaro from Nobe owns a piece of her. My man Steve Grabowski, who I used to work with at HRN, owns a piece of her. Uh, Toga Partnership owns a piece of her. Wow. And uh, spread the wealth. Uh, well, oh, my, man, my man John Koziak from Transfiguration how, owns a piece of how her. How close well, is so. she to running, Anthony? Well, hoping she runs early Belmont. Those two-year-old okay. races at Belmont don't draw a big field. So um, Belmont opens May fourth. The mm-hmm. night after my dirt dinner in Derby, um, we have a little. We have a Derby dinner every year. Well, we had it for two or three years before COVID. We're having it again over at King Umberto's, um, right down the road from Belmont Park on May third. We open May fourth at Belmont Park, and then the first year old races of the following week. Fingers crossed, toes crossed, everything crossed. I'll tell you, <laughs> I don't have any kids, or at least I didn't until that phone yeah. call came about three weeks ago. Hey. Aunt, I said, "What's this going to cost me, Amira?" <laughs> oh, twenty-seven thousand. So we we ended up going partners on her, um, and it's been it's been a lot of fun. It's really been something that um, it's been uh, it's amazing. And it was I, good. You know, I, I don't I, I didn't have any kids until about three weeks ago. Yeah. It'll get better when the it's a little bit nicer in those early mornings to go watch training too. Uh, it's a little tough. She went. I'll tell you a quick story, guys. She went to the gate yesterday for the second time. Okay. And I was standing at the clocker stand, and I was getting ready to follow Amira to the gate, and somebody jumped out of his car and was like, oh, you own one now? I said, yeah. I said, she's going to the gate for the first time. He said, can I take a ride over with you? I said, you want to take a ride over with me? I said, absolutely. You can take a ride over with me. And Angel Cordero Jr. got in the All passenger right. seat oh. of my car and took a ride with me to the back of the Belmont Park training track and watched my filly break out of the starting gate with me for the first time. That's cool. Needless to say, my month was absolutely made. That's great. Little smart. A, little, a big smile on the face of the Big A. That's great to hear. Big A's top pick in the wood is Slip Mahoney. 
Eight, six to one morning line for Brad Cox, uh, Dylan Davis, and a son of Arrogate out of an AP Indy mare got lucky. So six to one angle to beat Hit Show. Uh, anybody else on the card uh, you might want to single us or put us toward? In the Gazelle, we don't want to forget about the young ladies in the Kentucky Oaks, guys. Yep, right. Um, we wrap up our Oaks, uh, our our path to the Kentucky Oaks on Saturday as well. It goes early, race three, 127 post. We have an 11 race card, early post, 12-15. We've been sticking to the 120, but we go early 12-15 to accommodate Big Fox for the Wood Memorial. Yep. I like Capella. Uh, she had two races for Brad Cobb. I think she's going to have a big day. Capella, she went two turns twice over the Tapita at Turfway Park. She broke her maiden. She won an entry-level allowance optional claimer. She tried the dirt for the first time last time out. I did not like the ride Florence Giroux gave her. I said that a lot in my life. She went wide a wire in her two races at Turfway. She was nowhere near the lead the other day. And now, to me, she's the controlling speed from the rail. And I love the rider upgrade to Kendrick Carmouche. Kendrick's going to let her run from the rip. I think Capella could wire the field. Chad Brown has a couple in here. The five occult, the six shit of booty, um, who I like to call shaky booty. I'll put her over those two, uh, but hoping Capella can take them flag fall for that's all the number one in the gazelle. All right. Very good. Capella and the gazelle and Slip Mahoney to maybe make uh, some tracks toward the Kentucky Derby on Saturday. I'm going to give you guys one more, too. Okay. The card, the Great Wooden Carter, which is always one of my favorite races of the year. We made some money in it last year. Um, I think the New York Red, today's flavor, has a huge speed advantage in here. He's got to go seven panels, but I think Manny Franco um, can put this horse on the front end and just keep on going. There's nobody else fast enough to keep up with him for the first half mile. He'll have to carry it the rest of the way, but I think he'll be in front. George Weaver, namely his assistant, Blair Golan, has done an amazing job with this horse here this winter, and I think he can take him gate to wire on Saturday in the car. Okay, going seven furlongs and six, six to, to one. one. Yep. Okay, Anthony, thanks so much. Have a great weekend, and uh, keep thinking of those new young horses that are undefeated of yours. It'll keep a smile on your face. You got it, fellas. All right. Good luck, everyone. Thanks, Thanks, Anthony. Anthony Stabile, very popular out here in the West, namely the Pacific Northwest, namely the KJR listenership for so many years on the Win Play Show and recently on Horse Racing Northwest podcast. So great to have John White and Anthony Stabile on the same show, Vince. Yeah, especially with the final prep, big major preps for the – kentucky derby uh this weekend they've they've got our bases covered that's right okay so uh sports shorts uh you know the kraken i i heard if they win tonight they're in the playoffs or if nashville loses yeah they got five games left and uh, they've had a really good year there we go a little live radio there or live pod podcasting um you know the thing about the kraken when andre burakowski my favorite player on the kraken went down a couple months ago the offense did dry up a little bit maddie benears who's got a good chance at the calder he kind of what's the calder for the rookie of the year okay and he's got a real good chance to win it but uh, they really struggle with him i know his points aren't that big but if you watch the team play boy he is an electric player and there's talk he could be back for the playoffs but anyway the kraken have had it just uh, the balance on that team you know 
The, the, the guys with 15 to 20 goals is really, really good. They've got, done a good job assembling four lines without any superstars. Hmm. And every team needs a number one defenseman in the NHL. And Vince Dunn, the guy they got in the expansion draft from St. Louis, not that great last year, but he has taken a major step this year with 14 goals and uh, 50 assists, 64 wow. points, I believe. Yeah, and uh, plus 26. He just controls the ice when he's out there. He has been... Uh, sensational um that, how old the guy is he i think he's in uh, about 27 or 20 he's, he's a tough guy too he can handle himself out there and uh you know no one's gonna mess with him um the big question mark is the goaltending with grubauer and jones they've been better this year grubauer a little better than last year but that you know uh, that's that's their major hindrance going into the playoffs probably so uh but anyway it'll be really exciting because the difference between regular season and playoff hockey is tremendous and uh yeah i just uh hats off they've very good they've uh, done a fine job 16 teams make the playoffs 16 teams yep. eight in each conference the east is definitely better than the west this year led by the boston bruins who are having a, a, a just an amazing season with 60 wins so they'll be your favorite going into it so uh, we shall see uh but it will be exciting and uh uh yeah uh in fact uh um i think i'm gonna Try to go to a couple of those playoff games are guaranteed at least two, you know, oh, as are, okay. so we shall see. Um, but uh, exciting time. And then the T-Birds, the local team here in the, in the Kent Valley, they just want to swept their first round playoff series and uh, their favorites, not only to win uh, the WHL, but they got to be taken pretty seriously in the Memorial Cup this year. I think something they won, I think in 2017. So a lot of good hockey. Yeah. We went to a T-Birds game recently and, uh, Boy, some really outstanding skaters out there. And I yep. suppose the NHL is just noticeable level above that. It is. And like, you know, with football, when the rookie goes in the end, they say it's just, boy, it's just faster. That's the same in the NHL. The pace is just so much quicker. And, uh, you know, one of their leading goal, he scored five goals in their sweep against Kelowna, Dylan Gunther. He actually played for the Arizona Coyotes this year, you know, and had eight or nine goals. Wow. And, you know, being an underage, you're not allowed to go into the AHL. You have to go back to juniors. So the T-Birds traded for his rights after they was sent down. And, you know, they're, they've moved all their chips to the center of the table to go for it this year because the cupboard's going to be pretty bare. Um, but yeah, so if you get a chance, go to the show wear center. Just I know, up the street from Emerald Downs. I think Emerald Downs, we do some business with the T-Birds. So yeah. uh, great to see them doing well too. So a lot of good hockey. You bet. Okay, my sport's short. Uh, I'm wondering what the points of emphasis are going to be for referees next year in basketball because basketball's changed. Are you talking about the college basketball? Either. Mm -hmm. High school, college, mostly high school and college. And now you watched the women's game the other night. Yeah. The final, and I just watching a little bit of, uh, you know, the social media and all that. People were pretty outraged at the quality of refereeing in that game too. It. You know, as a coach on the sidelines for either team, LSU or Iowa, in that title game, you know, you're kind of putting your hands up like, you know, where did that call come from? Uh, that call isn't being made at the other end. That call, you passed on that call four different times. Now you, now call, you call it. it. You That's know? where you lose the players. And it's just, uh, I, and, uh, you know, I broadcast a lot of high school basketball the last several years, especially the last two, all, all week at the Tacoma Dome and many of the district playoffs. And high school basketball refereeing has changed a lot in one year. I mean, the amount of travels that are passed on by the refs, 
not mm-hmm. called. I know you've always been different types beating that of drum travel. about well, the traveling. Yeah, it's tough to play defense when a guy can run yeah. past you before he dribbles. You yeah, know? and that's not in the rule. That, books. that means you have to reach or grab him to try to. Or you're dribbling along and then you just hold the ball in midair and fake three times with your feet and the defender doesn't know what you're going to do because you're holding the ball, palming it basically. Didn't Magic do that though, Magic Johnson? He not quite. No, no. He, he palmed the ball. <laughs> But he didn't, uh, you know, he didn't carry it like they do. Oh, man. But anyway, it's just so inconsistent. Uh, uh, you know, Rick Barry has something on YouTube saying, uh, I think you might even have showed it to me, that just... He never call, did like referees. Call the game as it's supposed to be called. The players will adjust. Correct, yeah. You know, and the amount of contact in high school ball allowed and pro ball. And then you've got the UCLA-Gonzaga game. I'm almost done here. Yeah, that was terrible. But, but, uh, you know, this Jaime Yaquez for UCLA, really outstanding offensive player. You know, I really enjoy watching him. Well, UCLA's down 8 to 10 points with two minutes to go. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, he's not hitting from the outside. He just drives hard to the hoop three straight times, makes the layup three straight times, and gets this touch foul call that was not even close to being called the first 35 minutes of the game. Yeah. And, you know, a referee, you can even say he can watch the play, see that he's making the layup, and it's just a touch. You know, you pass on that. But he got three three-point plays because yeah. they're down eight or ten, and, uh, you know, it's just don't touch yeah. him now. It, it, well, hockey officiating, don't get me started on that oh, yeah. either. I've, they, this, they manage by the score of the game, or if one team's got the last two penalties, then the next time the team b touches somebody they're going to get a call i just do not like that and then yeah. in the in the playoffs or in overtime they just put the whistle away and and the the thought there you know ken dryden in his book the game explained it you know their 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 reasoning is well we're not going to decide the game but you are deciding you the are. game by letting stuff go and uh, my big thing is like with stewards or whatever just be consistent let us know yeah. if you're going to call it that way you said it earlier joe players or jockeys they'll adjust they will. They'll, not, they'll adjust to the rules. That is how it's called. Okay, I'll make you the commissioner of officials, and you just mentioned what they'll do in this off season, and you have them all in a room here. What would what would your starting point be on something like that? On how to well, prove it? I'd start with the traveling call. You know, I mean, you just shouldn't be allowed to run around a defender before you release the ball on the dribble. You, you know, it just is the defender can't stay with that. You know, you can't poke check, you can't, you know, the jab step, you know, if you got a great jab step as an offensive player, that helps to get around people. But when you can run around somebody without dribbling, I mean, it's just, uh, that doesn't work. So it's called a little bit in the women's game. It's hardly called at all in high school and college now. I actually saw it called in the NBA a little bit this year for that matter. So, and, and carrying the ball, you know, there are degrees of all this stuff too, but, uh, uh, experienced ref certainly recognizes it mm-hmm. and it's just like mark few uh, about what eight minutes into that gonzaga loss to yukon he, he was, was interviewed upset, live yeah. and drew timmy had uh two traveling calls against him and they were both traveling by the letter of the law but mark few even said right there on tv goes and what what are they doing you know there's traveling calls on timmy i mean what is that it just you know it, it's that's just is not going right and I can see why he would say that because so many calls are passed on. The refs just let them go, and then Timmy gets nabbed twice. So 
I think something, there's going to be some major points of emphasis pretty soon. One more thing on that, Giannis Antetokounmpo from Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. He comes over. He's got about the longest stride we've ever seen in a oh basketball boy, player. Athlete, yeah. Plus, he gets one extra step because he's from Europe and he's got the Euro step, <laughs> which now is even allowed in high school, which is another traveling call. How about the pivot foot? Do you have any uh, issues with those calls? Sure, that's traveling too. That's another type of traveling where you get you know extra step and crossovers. There are, hey, you've got to release the ball before you lift your pivot foot. That's basically it. Okay. All right, so uh, sports shorts. We did that. Let's go to some handicapping. You like any horses this weekend? Uh, you know, I really have, not to cop out, but I really didn't look, haven't, haven't, uh, made the time yet to do it i did mention raising cane i thought that horse was interesting off the way the horse just improved so dramatically uh in the gotham um i guess mm -hmm. a lot of people will think though that was the off track that moved moved the horse up but i think that's an interesting one uh you know i think if get five or six to one on a horse like that i might be in intrigued okay and uh he is what uh nine to two morning line with joel rosario Number 10 in the bluegrass. In the Toyota bluegrass. I'm going to, classic catch is a horse that the big A mentioned just a little bit. Uh, showed no speed. Basically got left at the gate in his career debut last October at Aqueduct. Uh, and then he came right back and broke his maiden. He went to Tampa, which can be a little bit of a tricky track. Uh, he ran third, beating a length and a quarter. But then he came to Gulfstream and won a nice uh, optional allowance there. Under Irad Ortiz, he's a son of Classic Empire, who's, you know, one of the now stallions right now. Angel of Empire, see him winning last week. So Classic catch 10 to 1 for Todd Pletcher in the wood. He is number 11, but he's he's really quite tactical. He, he figures to be a, a head of hit, hit uh, show, uh, unless Manny Franco really asks hit show from that outside post early. But Classic catch is tactical. He's a route horse. Trevor McCarthy's up, uh, 10 to 1, classic catch in the wood. I'll take him. Okay, and our trivia, you know, I slighted um, our trivia guy, Michael, a couple weeks ago. Michael Tarlow, he came through with Bertrando and that question that, you know, who's in the top 10 among Emerald Stake sires in our 27 seasons here? Um and Bertrando was the only one that didn't have, you know, all Washington breads, although Spreaker PhD, certainly a Washington bread. Harbor the Gold and Bertrando, both located out of state. Michael did come up with a, the correct answer there. Michael, thanks for playing again. So last year, last week's question was name the two nine-year-old stakes winners in Emerald Downs history. And they were both quite a few years ago. Sneak and Jake won our first ever opening day Auburn Stakes Sneak and Jake, uh, bred by Murdoch McPherson, raced by him. Larry Pierce was the trainer. Van Belvoir aboard a real memorable Auburn Stakes late in the card on June 20th, 1996. Sneak and Jake was nine. That was his last ever start as well. And Slew of Damascus won as a nine-year-old here the very next year in 1997, a grade one winner, uh, trained by Craig Roberts. So those are two nine-year-old stakes winners in Emerald Downs history. This week's question, send your answers to trivia at emeralddowns.com. Name Emerald Downs trainers with only one training title. 
There's been so many McCannas and Lucarellis and Metzes oh. and Blaine Wrights involved that there aren't that many Emerald Downs trainers with just one training title at this track. Give us those names and you could win a prize as we get closer to opening day. I'll hand a few prizes out on opening day, May 6th. Uh, Kentucky Derby Day, first race, 1 p.m. Thanks to our guests, John White and the big A Anthony Stabil. And this is Horse Racing Northwest. <laughs>